Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Just a word of thanks to Mitch. Some of you may be wondering who this guy is playing the piano this morning. Uh, Mitch is at Arcadia campus, and uh, this is what we do. We share from time to time, and uh, where there's a need. So Mitch, thank you for standing in this morning. Mitch serves as a missionary with Operation Mobilization, and is originally from Canada. So uh, nice to have you serve here at the Hill this morning. Uh, please turn with me in Luke to Luke chapter 2. Um, I'm not going to do the reading now, but do invite you to keep your Bible open and uh, do want to introduce the message, and it's quite a long introduction this morning, uh, that I want to bring so that uh, uh, perhaps it will help us in the application of this of this particular uh, passage this morning. And I know Isaac has prayed, I know we've sung a prayer, but I want to pray as well. Uh, Just acknowledging, Lord, that we do always stand in need of you. Lord, words can so easily just roll off our tongues out of our mouths and be meaningless. But I pray this morning, Lord, that that which is said is going to be of great value. Uh, Lord, representing and speaking that which you have left for us to have. Lord, speaking into our lives that indeed your purposes may be fulfilled. Lord, speaking to us that you indeed would be glorified. And so help us to receive this word this morning. Pray that you would enable me by your spirit to speak uh, with boldness. And and Lord, knowing that indeed uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts ought to be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So I want to start this morning and I want to take you to John Bunyan. I think some of the older folk, and I I don't know whether younger people these days read John Bunyan, but John Bunyan uh, accurately captures the nature of the Christian life in really what has become what is one of the more popular books ever written known as Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory. The characters in the book, uh, each one that he introduces represents the kind of people we are the kind of people we meet in the course of our lives. And the story unfolds, uh, portraying, I think, very accurately the very different, the varied situations we face in life. And so I want to, this morning, by introducing this passage and this message, I want to pick up the story with Christian, the one character, the main character, and hopeful, alongside of Christian, Moving from a particular season, a particularly good season where they are uh, being refreshed, it's a refreshing time on their journey to heaven, uh, on their journey to the celestial city, as Bunyan calls it, suddenly finding the journey to becoming hard. So listen as Bunyan writes. Drinking the water of life, the weary pilgrims are greatly refreshed, And they remain here for several days, picking fruit and sleeping in the meadows. Moving on, they find that the holy way runs along a river bank for a time, but then it veers off onto rough ground, 
which is very hard on their sore feet, and they are much discouraged. They get the picture? Now, have you found that? Trying to weave in the application. At times, in your walk of faith, in, in your relationship with God, feeling like you are already in heaven. Feeling like paradise has arrived. And there's a real sense of delighting, and there's a real sense of feasting. In fact, quoting, uh, reveling, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, in the unsearchable riches of Christ. So you're riding, as it were, on the clouds. You feel like you're up in the mountains. And then without warning, the road is no longer smooth. Just suddenly. Seems to be no choice pickings of fruit to feast on from the word. The word just seems dry and 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 distant. Uh, every step you take in your walk of faith seems to be a grinding uphill battle, uh, passing using the words of the psalmist through a dry and thirsty land. And the point is, it leads you to a place of discouragement. You feel downhearted and and discouraged. And and so, what do we do? What do we do in times like that? Now, it's helpful to see. Uh, what Christian and hopeful do, because I know that I find myself making the same mistake. So we don't want to do what they do, but we want to learn from what they did. So again, I want to pick up the story. They come to another meadow and a stile to go over into it, and that meadow is called Bypath Meadow, suggesting that the going might be easier in the meadow Christian climbs over the stile to have a look. And finding a path there, going their way, he persuades Hopeful that they should take it. So you get the idea. They get to a place and, and, and the path that way, not the right way, but that way seems easier. Making good time in Bypath Meadow, which is very easy for their feet, they catch up with another pilgrim by the name of Vain Confidence. Assuring them that he knows the way, their new acquaintance starts out ahead and tells them to follow him. As it is now night and very dark, they soon lose sight of him and continue on until they hear a loud cry and a heavy thud. Creeping forward, they find that vain confidence has been killed by falling into a deep pit dug by the prince of those grounds to catch vain glorious fools. Christian and Hopeful turn back. Now they realize that they've done something wrong. Now they want to go back. Scarcely knowing where they are, meeting great difficulties. It's not only dark, but now it begins to rain. Terrible lightning and thunder. The water rises till they like to have been drowned nine or ten times. Despairing of finding the style that night, they lie down in the meadow to sleep. In the morning, they surprised And seized by the owner of the meadow, giant despair. Charging them with trespassing, he drags them into his stronghold, called Doubting Castle. And throws them into a nasty and stinking dungeon. Yet they lie for four days without one bit of bread or drop of drink or light or, or any to ask how they did. Giant despair finally appears and beats them with a crab tree cudgel until they can scarcely roll over on the floor. Now, what's the mistake? 
All of that to, to get to show you the mistake. The mistake that these two Christians, Christian and Hopeful, made was to think that they could avoid, using their own wisdom, the difficulties along the route to heaven. They thought they could take a shortcut. They thought that there is an alternative way, a way that seemed easier but actually leads to greater hardship and difficulty, finding themselves, to go back to the allegory, subject to despair, and then captured and locked away in Doubting Castle. Now, folk, I've been around in my own life long enough, and I've seen enough in the Christian experience, when things get hard for us, we think there's an easier route. And we begin to doubt the Word of God. We begin to question the, the work of Jesus. We begin to think about, well, is the Scriptures in fact the Word of God? And we, we go down this way thinking that it will be easier, but we end up going down this spiral of despair, suffering with tremendous doubt, and possibly even ending up in faith that is destroyed. And so, having said that, today's message is about another man, and we're going to read about him, a man that we find in the Gospel of Luke, as far as I know, as far as we can understand, he either avoided the mistake of taking a shortcut in his life, or he learned, he learned the lesson that Christian and Hopeful finally learned to escape from having their faith battered and destroyed, ending up in despair and doubt. Now to go back to the story, this is the lesson learned. The penny suddenly drops for Christian and he blurts out to Hopeful, What a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty? I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Darting Castle. That's good news, says Hopeful. Good brother, pluck it out of thy bosom and try. They try it on the dungeon door, which opens with ease, as do other doors in the castle. Outside, they try it on a big iron gate, which finally opens, though the lock went damnable hard. As they push the big gate open, its rusty hinges creak so loudly that giant despair is awakened. Jumping up, he's dressing to pursue the prisoners when he suffers another fit and has to go back to bed. And running with desperate speed, Christian and Hopeful finally find the style by which they entered Bypath Meadow. And before going on, they decide to erect a pillar on the side of which they engrave a warning. Now listen to the warning. Over this style is the way to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despiseth the king of the celestial city. And seeks to destroy the holy pilgrims. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I urge you to do so. Now we're going to read the Bible. Luke chapter 2, a couple of verses, from verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting 
for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts, so that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Right, we're going to think now and try and see how we can learn from uh, Simeon's experience. We have in these few verses the history of a man whose name is nowhere else mentioned in the New Testament. Very obscure, unknown person. We are told that he is in a right standing with God. He's righteous. We're told that he's devout. In other words, he knew what it was to fear God. And his name was Simeon. Now, Simeon, at this particular season, was prompted by the Spirit of God to go to the temple. And then when the child Jesus was brought there on the eighth day uh, by his parents, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and praised God. Now, now you've got to think about the context of this man, Simeon's life. He was an old man at this particular stage. Excuse me, stage of his life. Simeon had patiently waited for what God had said to him for years and years. And we read in verse 25, and he was waiting for the constellation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now I would imagine, certainly if I was Simeon, that there would be days or weeks or months or years where I would wonder, is this actually going to happen? Have what I heard from God or has what I've heard from God actually going to be truly unfolded? Or is this just a pipe dream? Is this just imagination? And so we find instead that he, he, he doesn't take the shortcut, he doesn't doubt, but Simeon lived out his entire life believing what God had revealed. He was willing to stand on the promises of God. Now I heard us sing that song this morning. But it's one thing to sing the song, it's another thing to live it day by day. Simeon chose not to enter the shortcut bypass meadow. Simeon chose not to end up as a victim of despair in Doubting Castle. Now, there are even folk among us over the course, I'm finishing 24 years of ministry in this church this year. I can't believe it. And I've seen it, and, and I preached this message this morning as an encouragement, but I preach it as a warning. 
I've seen, I've seen it, and I watch it in my own life, the ease with which doubt creeps in and robs people of the joy and the light of walking with God. Become bitter and negative and, and influence others to be bitter and, and negative and, and, and doubting the word of God, doubting that which God has revealed. And, and there's a choice that every one of us needs to make. Will I believe the word of God or won't I? And so this morning I want us to see by looking in on the life of a man, Simeon, who I believe must have regularly used the key called promise. You use that key? The key called promise. The Christian says, I am persuaded will open any lock in Doubting Castle so that we too, yet today, can stand on the promises. And if I go back to the title of my message, knowing that God is always at work, even when we are doubting, even when things seem to not be happening, we can believe. Every reason to be full of hope and courage. So what I want to do now, and I have a couple of points that I'm going to make this morning, I want to show you in the context of Simeon's broader experience and the immediate experience, God at work in what could have been life's doubts for him. I want to show you the evidence of the outworking of God's, the other hymn we sang, God's faithfulness. Number one, we see as in the case of Simeon, how God... Always, I'll add that word, has a believing people in the hardest times. True religion was in a bad way when Jesus was born. That entire season, that context was difficult. The living faith of what we read of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had got to a stage now where it was perverted, it was spoiled, and done so by the doctrines of many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. My point is this. Even then, we find in verse 25, Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It's very easy for us to look around in the world, look around in our country and our context and our families, and say, where is God at work? Are there any believers remaining? Is there still faithfulness to the word of God? And take from this passage this morning. Be glad in your hearts to know and see that God never leaves himself without a witness. It's true. At times, throughout church history, there have been times where the church may be small, that at all times we can be assured of the truth, again, the word of Jesus, I will build my church, even in 2022, as we enter 2023, in a few weeks' time, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the true church, yes, may be driven into the wilderness. It might be scattered, and, and people uh, uh, scattered like a little flock, and, and, and the truth is, we look around us, we uh, find many who claim to be the true church. 
But do we believe the book of Revelation? Many of those churches, professing churches, no more than synagogues of Satan, champions of darkness and sin, enemies of Christ. I was uh, looking to watch a, a message that my brother-in-law preached. His church is called the Olive Grove Baptist Church. And so I typed in Olive Grove Baptist Church and I discovered there are lots of Olive Grove Baptist churches in the U.S., and I clicked on one of the uh, websites, and the message on their front page was, We are LGBTQ plus friendly. That's not the true church. It's not the true church. It's a synagogue of Satan. And, and they're all over the place. They're all over the place. And it's not just with, with that issue. There are all sorts of issues. The denial of, of Jesus being born of a virgin. The, the denial of the resurrection of Jesus. The denial of, of the miracles that he performed. But folk, the true church never dies. Even if we go back into the Old Testament, there was Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Obadiah in Ab- Ahab's household. Daniel in Babylon. Jeremiah in Zedekiah's court. And, and in the passage this morning, when sin was rampant and man-made religion was the flavor of the day, there was a godly man by the name of Simeon that God had put his hand on. And if you read on, verse 36, you'll find there's a lady too by the name of Anna, who is faithful and was faithful to God. So two Christians of every age must remember and take comfort. Don't give way to discouragement. Don't uh, give in to weakness and despondency. Uh, Even back in Elijah's day, I've been zealous, he says to the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put down your prophets to death with sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What does God say to him? I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You see, God, God has his people. God, God always has his people. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And so we need, to, we need to learn to be more hopeful in the challenges that surround us, believing that God is at work, that his church will continue to grow, even in unfavorable circumstances, there are more Simeons than we suppose. But secondly, I want us to see here, God at work, how God delivers a believer from the fear of death. Just yesterday I visited someone, and this person said to them, said to me, they have a fear of dying. I think any one of us could feel that fear of death. Well, Simeon in this passage says, Lord, verse 29, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. J.C. Ryle, uh, I quote him, he says of Simeon, he speaks like one from whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. God was so at work in the life of this man based on the revelation that he'd been given that he's now ready to be released 
from this world and be allowed to go home. Isn't that something we must think about? Like Paul, like the Apostle Paul, and, and I've learned to quote these verses far too glibly and, 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 and learning that we need to take them far more seriously. But Paul, willing to say, uh, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord is a preference. He knows where he's going. He understands that life is more than just these years on this earth. Paul also understands when this tent he lives in is destroyed, there will be an eternal home in heaven for him. And you see, what is it? We have to ask ourselves as we get older. What is it that can enable us mortal people to have the confidence that Simeon had? To have the confidence that the Apostle Paul had? What, what is it that delivers us from the fear of dying? What is it that takes away the sting of death? It's faith in Christ. It's simply, simply put, one answer. It's faith that takes hold of the Savior. Get the picture of Simeon as he holds that baby, understanding by the revelation of the Spirit what Jesus came to do, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. It's faith that trusts in, in what God has provided in Jesus. His atoning work, ultimately, I don't think Simeon saw all of that detail, but, but he knew enough to trust God in that which was to be done. Faith resting again on the promises of God. These can't just be cliches that we roll off our tongue. We have to believe them and live them. Must have something more to really desire uh, to be able to depart in peace. And I think we can learn from Simeon and the faith that he had as a gift from God. But thirdly, God also at work on how God has provided salvation, which is an extension of this uh, peace that Simeon had uh, beyond this life. Simeon had been waiting for what he tells us, the consolation of Israel. It's another way of saying he was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the one who would be the deliverer, the one would be the comforter of God's people. And he says so in verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation. What it is that you're going to be doing through this child born, this child being presented at the temple. And as uh, he has in his arms the baby through whom God would bring salvation to the peoples of the earth. And, and he, he gets specific. Christ... A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Think about the world at the moment. Even though we may consider the world to be in a catastrophic state of affairs, the reality of Christianity and the gospel message has influenced generations and nations and will continue to do so. And, and what Simeon said and prophetically uh, written for us over here, without Jesus, without the Christ, the Gentiles, that is us, we are sunk and lost in darkness and superstition and false religion. We are here today because of 
Jesus being a light to those of us who are not Jewish. The Gentiles did not know the way of God. Aren't we glad that the gospel spread from the Middle East on Paul's journeys and, 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 and into Europe and, 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 and into the West and into the East and, and into Africa and not because of who we are, but because of God being at work. The wisest, even we're told, the wisest philosophers were ignorant in spiritual things. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. But the gospel of Jesus was a sunrise, was a light to the Greek world, to the Roman world, to the entire Gentile world, and I believe continues to bring that light into the world even today. But not to the neglect of Israel. Christ for glory to your people Israel, verse 32. Now think about that. The privilege that Israel had. The glory of Israel. Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, from the line of, of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, to whom the covenants were given, the promises were made, the law of Moses, uh, the temple services, all these were privileges through this little Jewish nation. But the greatest privilege, the greatest thing, that Jesus was born out of Israel. The mother of Jesus, a Jewish woman, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 verse 3, regarding his son, who is to his human nature a descendant of David. So Christ is the one. He's the focus. This Christmas, the focus, the one who would make atonement for sins, the one we need to look to, the one in whom salvation can be found. My fourth point. Our God is at work. Our God is at work through the gospel. So the results. How does Simeon see the outworking of the gospel? Uh, the results that followed and, and, and continued to follow uh, when Jesus and his gospel came into the world. So verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The prediction of what Mary would witness as Jesus is crucified, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now just think about each of those uh, components. Christ and his gospel will be the occasion of the falling of many in Israel. It is true. Not everybody accepts the gospel. He will be a stone of stumbling. He will be a rock of offense to any who prefer to remain proud and self-righteous, who reject him and prefer to perish in their sins. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. There will be those who fall. There will be those who reject the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, to, to the one where the smell of death to the other, the fragrance of life. Get the point? Christ and his gospel will be the occasion of falling, the falling of many, and which is a sadness. But, but, but the good news, the other side of the coin, is Christ and his gospel will be the occasion of the rising of many. 
for many down through the ages, even among us, people who are idolaters and drunkards and adulterers and liars and blasphemers, Christ is the rock and the refuge, salvation, a haven from the wrath and the anger of God. So you get the point as we preach the gospel even today, the result will be, there will be those who accept him and there will be those who reject him. There will be those who repent and believe and they will rise as those who are children of the Almighty. And then there's also Christ and his gospel will be a sign that is opposed. Uh, Jesus, we know, was the target of the attacks of the evil one, of the Romans, of the Jews, of the religious hierarchy. He was despised and rejected amongst men. Uh, He and his people nevertheless would be like a light on a hill. But they would be attacked down through the ages. We've seen that in persecution after persecution. And history has proved and continues to prove that many people agree on hating the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, many have been persecutors and unbelievers. But also, and and part of the preaching uh, focus and job that we have is Christ and the gospel will be the occasion so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Even this morning, there's a response in your own thinking. Uh, what, what, what is it that, that your mind is filled with in response to the coming of Jesus? What are the motives that are revealed and the attitudes that are exposed? For some, it reveals hardness and rebellion. For others, it reveals, I'm really broken and I stand in need of the Savior. Uh, for others, there's a weariness and a, and a hunger for God. For many, the discovery of salvation. So let me conclude. I'm convinced that we need the promises of God to cope in the midst of many challenges, many hard seasons. What else do you have? What else do you have? And so the evidence of the outworking of God's faithfulness here in the revelation of his promises to Simeon is clearest seen looking at Jesus. There was an old man, became a good friend of mine at my previous church. He on Sunday mornings used to type on a piece of paper, little strips of paper he used to give me at the door, quotations from the Puritans. He was a real mentor and friend to me. And there was one, and I'm going to quote one of them this morning, by Puritan Robert Trail. And I remember as Julius gave that to me, uh, this is what it said. As Simeon embraced baby Jesus that day, he held in his arms all the promises of the Old Testament, all the blessings of the New Testament, the grace of God on earth, and all the glory of God in heaven. Isn't that great? I kept that piece of paper. I have a file where I've put all Julius's statements to me. And so, folk, as I close this morning and really close out for the year, standing on the promises only have value when you stand on the promises of Christ as your king. It's only in Jesus. 
It, it, it has to be within the context of in Christ your King. Having seen yourself as needy, as a sinner, needing a Savior, repenting of your sin, and placing a trust in Jesus. The road ahead may be hard. Your feet, allegorically speaking, may get sore. What will you do? You look for a shortcut? Follow the crowds? Crucify Him? Or will you stand on the promises, trusting God? That's the challenge I want to leave with you this morning. Embracing the living Christ, holding onto Him. And I believe then finding peace and hope and courage in life and in death as a beneficiary of those promises. So God bless you. As 2022 ends, and by the way, Christmas Day, you're going to be privileged to have Dr. Eric Robbins preaching the Christmas message to you. Do come along to that. And so, Lord, we do pray that your gracious hand of mercy would keep us, as we often sing, holding us fast. But, Lord, us taking responsibility, uh, believing uh, all of your words, the promises given, the promises that have endured down through the ages. And, Lord, your Spirit at work in us, enabling us to trust you. Lord, not us not able to see what tomorrow will bring. And so thank you for each one here today, those listening also online. Thank you for bringing us through, Lord, another year. There have been difficulties. There have, Lord, been times of rejoicing. And again, we do not know what 2023 holds. But, Lord, we know that you hold all things in your hands. So we pray, asking for this courage and hope and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.